HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Well, hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Thursday, April 14th, 2022. This is our 322nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a former bartender who now works with Diageo as its national on-premise manager for non-alcohol, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to embrace zero proof. Yes, let's understand and accept that not everyone drinks alcohol and that it is perfectly wonderful. People abstain from drinking for many different reasons, and frankly, it's no one else's business as to why someone is not imbibing. Our role is simply to be accepting of others' decisions and values and stay solely concerned about our own. So let's remember that zero proof is always a 100% valid choice. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm so happy to have my guests joining me from Los Angeles. It is Laura Lashley. She is the national on-premise manager for Diageo Non-Alcohol, where she leads the brand's training and advocacy programs in the U.S. Laura began her career in drinks working in New York City bars, notably as the head bartender and bar manager at Avro Co's Madame Geneva, as well as bar manager at the Breslin and Ace Hotel Lobby Bar. She has been sowing the seeds with the Seedlip team in the States for nearly four years and enjoys using her bartending experience and love of the industry to bring the non-alcoholic category to the forefront. And she is always on the move, but currently, as I said, she calls home sunny Los Angeles, and that's where she's calling us from today. So Laura, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Happy to have you calling in, as I said before we started uh, recording. Uh, we're having California weather today in New York. It's sunny and <laughs> and warm. 
<laughs> and not nice. humid. So um, maybe you brought that to us through the show today. Yes, this is the, I mean, this is one of the best times of the year in New York. I love spring in New York, so I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a good time. But uh, yeah, California is always, I think, a good time. So um, why don't you take us back a little bit about how you got into the hospitality industry and what led you into bartending? And I know you spent some time in New York City. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have a fairly stereotypical hospitality story. Um, I moved to New York for college. I went to NYU for acting, actually. And, uh, you know, while I was in college, I started picking up some, uh, you know, side jobs in hospitality and food service, trying to make a little extra money. Um, I, I worked at an ice cream store and then eventually found my way into restaurants. And when I got out of school and started kind of trying to figure out what my next steps in my life and career were. Um, I had to pay my bills and I got, you know, got into, got into hospitality and I was really lucky um, and kind of found my way to some great bars where I had some good mentors and I got really, you know, interested in the kind of cocktail bar renaissance that was happening at the time. And I just really loved making people happy. I loved being creative with drinks um, and the money was good. And so very quickly, um, my passion kind of became my hobby, I should say, or my money making job kind of became my real, my real passion and my real career. So and I kind of have never looked back. Yeah, well, the places that you have in in your bio where you've worked are, I mean, I, I've been to both and they're both incredible uh, spaces. And first of all, in general, they're like very, like, let's say, sexy, cool bar lounges and restaurants <laughs> yeah. and 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 I know they had incredible cocktail programs so I feel like you you did well with where you worked. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, you know, I wanted to I wanted to work places that were were inspiring and the food was good and the you know the people knew what they were doing and I like I said I got kind of got in the right place at the right time in a lot of ways. So I felt um yeah, I just I got I got a great exposure into the into cocktail culture and into bartending, and I you know I've worked in other places as well. I worked in uh, in Australia briefly at a nightclub, and so I got I've kind of have a, had a lot of different kinds of experience. But yes, those two places in particular were were really wonderful. Yeah, well, that's cool. So then, what led you to join Diageo? Yeah, so I actually started working. Uh, actually, I was <laughs> I was at the Breslin at the Ace Hotel as the bar manager for almost five years. And I was looking to make a change. So my husband and I decided to move to the West Coast. And I didn't really have a plan of what I was going to do when I got to Los Angeles. I thought I might, you know, just find another bartending job or, or try to see, you know, what, what the scene was like out here. Um, and just as I was making the decision to do that, uh, I got approached by a friend of a friend uh, who I had previously worked with who was looking for a team for this really interesting, unheard of brand called Seedlip uh, that was making non-alcoholic spirits, which I, at the time, was like, what are you talking about? What is, what is a non-alcoholic spirit? Um, but she, my friend, was like, no, no, meet with them. They're really great people. The company's really cool. They're doing really interesting stuff. Uh, and so I had a very fateful meeting uh, with the Seedlip team at the time and was lucky enough to get offered a position to kind of get the market started in the U.S. I was 
West on the West Coast um, was the brand ambassador, and then I took on a national education role, and then um, so that was about four years worth of kind of building up the brand in the U.S. And then uh, we Diageo took the majority stake of Seedlip back in 2019, and then integrated our team into their operations um, and inter- integrated Seedlip fully into the Diageo family back in July of this year. So we had a little bit of a integration process, but I was very fortunate in getting to take on the role of on-premise manager and help kind of fold the Seedlip business into Diageo and help help grow it. So that's how I ended up here. Wow, it's amazing because I I mean I remember when I first hearing about Seedlip, um, especially I, I don't drink alcohol, so I'm I guess even more keen on it when it was introduced <laughs> and um it it was such a game changer in the industry. All of a sudden bartenders were 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 like really excited <laughs> to be making non-alcoholic drinks in, in a different way. Um and and I was looking, so that was it was it was like two it was founded in 2015. So you were you were part of that opening team, which is that's a, that's a really cool. <laughs> yeah, the brand the brand really launched in the UK like back in 2015 and then it was kind of early 2017 when they started building out the US team. So there was a little bit of momentum and a little bit of, you know, or actually I should say more than a little bit. There was kind of a lot of buzz about Seedlip in the UK, um but I got to be part of that first wave of of people kind of building up the Seedlip business but also just the, helping create that non-alc spirit category in the US. So yeah, it's been it's been really a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun and the the landscape has changed so much uh in the last four and a half, five years that I do, I'm always on my toes, which is great. Yeah, I know I was gonna ask you that with the landscape of of bartending uh from from when you were actively bartending in New York City to to today, like as as someone who was behind the bar, like what was the perception of of I guess non-alcoholic drinks back then or how has it changed? And also for people who aren't familiar with Seedlip, maybe want to take a, you know, give us a little description because I don't know if yeah. everyone listening has, is familiar or has had it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so Seedlip is a non-alcoholic spirit made with distilled botanicals. So I know that, you know, non-alcoholic and spirit sometimes feel very contradictory to people, but I think we call it a spirit because uh, there's, you know, a lot of craft and thought into the process of how the liquid is made. We use distillation techniques to uh, pull flavor out of all of our real botanical ingredients um, and layer those flavors together to create something that is really complex and sophisticated. And it serves as basically the base spirit for a cocktail. So, you know, it's not a mixer or a modifier. It really is that like heart of the cocktail. Um, and it's, its place is to provide that elevated non-alcoholic cocktail experience. So, um, so that's why we call it a spirit. It really is to teach people kind of how to drink it, but also to explain about the craft that goes into making it. Um, and it doesn't have any sugar. So it really is designed to be mixed, um, but it is, you know, there's three different expressions at the moment, and they have a lot of botanical, you know, one is very citrus forward, one is very herbaceous, one is very warm and has a lot of baking spice and cardamom. So three different, completely different flavor profiles, but you you really use them as the springboard for the flavor of the rest of the cocktail. And I think 
that's what I would say is is so exciting to see um, back in the day when I was bartending. It feels so long ago and it really was only five <laughs> years ago. But, um, but I think back when I was bartending, you know, even I thought we had very good cocktail programs at the bars that I worked at at the time, but we never gave any thought or any space on our menu to non-alcoholic cocktails. You know, we maybe we had a cool fresh fresh juice or a cool tea selection, but there was nothing in that cocktail space for people that weren't drinking. And so when people would come up to the bar and ask me for something, you know, you just kind of felt I I was a little embarrassed. I would kind of roll my eyes and internally, I hope, because I'd be like, oh God, what do I have to make? You know, it's it's throw some juice together or what kind of syrups do we have? Or I guess I'll just make like a fancy lemonade and throw some basil in it or whatever. And I <laughs> knew that what I was making wasn't as good or it wasn't as interesting and elevated as what I was making for their friend who was having a gin cocktail or a tequila cocktail. So for me, I think products like Seedlip, and there are certainly other great non-alcoholic products on the market now um, that are, you know, doing things in, in a slightly different way or whatever, they're just such a springboard for creativity for bartenders. Because when I bartend, I think about the base spirit as kind of my point of inspiration for flavor and my structure and my backbone. And so without that, it kind of feels like you're bartending with your hands tied behind your back. When someone asks you for non-alc, you kind of have to just fill in with some juice and some soda and whatever. So I think you know, the products like this are really getting bartenders excited and it just gives you a great tool. We didn't have a tool like this. You know, if you're really trying to be completely uh, alcohol free, even a lot of bitters, you know, don't feel like something you can work with. So having a, a, a tool for flavor and for creativity, I think is, is really great. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, everything you said resonated with me for sure as someone who goes out a lot and has had as has, I mean, typically when I or would order a drink or get something to drink when I was at a bar, um, it would be a club soda because I had so many experiences of asking for a non-alcoholic or drink or mocktail and, and it's like done by the, you know, like people are very, usually very, um, eager to make you something. However, there, it's like it, uh, so many times it would come out to too sweet or too sour and just not, frankly, really not really worth the calories and the, the dollars is what <laughs> I felt. Yeah. So, so over yeah. the years, I kind of, I kind of just, I, I wasn't really ordering many, many fancy drinks when I go out, but that's changed so much recently in the past couple of years, I'd say, because now I'm almost to the point where I'm, if I go to a restaurant and they don't have the little zero proof section of like two drinks, I'm like, these guys are behind what's happening. Like people yeah. <laughs> are now putting a little section on there. Maybe it's two or three um, non-alcoholic drinks, but, but they're paying attention. And I think and and if I go to a, a a bar and I see these drinks that are already given thought to and presented, I'm so much more likely to to order it, it at least my personal experience than than just having someone make something something for me on the fly. Even though that can also be magical, I don't want to like completely diss that, but um, it's been incredible. But you never know what you're going to get, right? And I think True. that's there is something um, you know really you. People will sometimes say to me, oh, our bartenders make great non-alcoholic drinks, you know, on the fly. It's fine. And, you know, you're 
what, what maybe they don't realize is that you're then putting your guest in the position of having to come up to the bar, ask for something that they don't already see on the menu, which they feel might be an inconvenience. They have to kind of go through a lot of extra steps to have that experience. And where if you do like what you're saying and have a really simple section on your menu that's very easy for people to find, then they know that you've thought of them and they know that there's something there for them and they know it's going to be good. And they can say, oh, I don't like ginger, but I do like pineapple. And they, you know, they get to have a choice. They don't just have to put themselves you know, through the like the experiment, which can be fun, like you're saying, but isn't always um, the best guest experience either. So I think, yeah, I think it's cool. When I was bartending back in, you know, I started bartending back in like 2010, um, or maybe even a little before that, like 2008, you know, if you saw a menu with fresh citrus juice on it, you were like, oh, these guys are good. (laughs) And things, things have changed. You know, everybody's using fresh juice now. Everybody's using, you know, everybody does good cocktails. But when you see somebody that has a good non-alc section, I feel like that's become a new marker, like you're saying of like, oh, these people are paying attention. They're on top of it. They're on the trend. They're interested in innovation. They're interested in experimentation. Um, So I think it's a really cool way to, to, you know, to see um, a, a venue's interest in pushing their program a little further. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and there's so many, I mean, there's so many more products have now come out over the past couple of years. It's like a lot happening in the market. Uh, I, I work with, uh, I represent Curious Elixirs, which is a ready to drink Mm -hmm. cocktail. And, um, they were they were one of the first they 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 started in 2016 so um it's been very interesting to see the how this space has changed and and the innovation and the options and i it's very exciting uh so i'm i'm all for it and as i said with my tip too like people drink for many different reasons you know so i think it's it's great to have that option for for people absolutely So um, let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 321 I had on Hillary Sterling. She's the executive chef at Chisiamo in New York City. And she would like to know, how can we figure out a way to get sweeter non-alcoholic spirits into less sweet non-alcoholic cocktails, making them a little lighter and more fresh? Are there products that we don't know about? And how do we balance all of those things? And she did note that um, the the NA cocktail culture is booming right now. It's one of the fastest growing and that they also have a section um, on their menu for for, uh, non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it actually kind of points to one of the major things about Seedlip that I think is really important. Um, You know, Ben Branson, the founder, basically created Seedlip because he was tired of going out and getting these like overly sweet, you know, super juicy and fruity and sweet mocktails, I guess is, which is a word I know that we kind of try not to use. (laughs) Well, I, I've always used it, but I've had, I've, some people don't like it, but you know, when you say it right off the bat, you know what it is. And, and Absolutely. like Ben, I've had that experience so I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like back to what I was saying about when I was bartending, you know, if you don't have prep done for non-alc drinks in a different way, pretty much all the things you have at your disposal behind a bar are sweet. You've got juice, you've got syrup, you've got soda, 
And that's kind of it. So I think with a product like Seedlip, you know, Ben wanted to create something that that did not have any sugar in the product itself, because then when you layer these other cocktail ingredients in, you know, it's not going to just become cloyingly sweet by layering sugar on top of sugar. And so, you know, I would say that like with Seedlip, I do find that a lot of cocktails that are made with it, um, bartenders automatically use the ratios that they're used to using for, say, a gimlet with gin, and then they make a gimlet with Seedlip. And it does tend to almost be too tart um, because they're using these these ratios that are based on the idea that the base spirit will have some sugar in it. So I guess my my thought about that overall, that question, is it's really important to think about each of the ingredients going into your cocktails and what they contribute to the mouthfeel, what they contribute to the flavor. Um, and I think making sure that everything is in balance is how you achieve something that tastes adult and complex and elevated, even if it is non-alcoholic. So utilizing ingredients like teas and vinegars, um, particularly bitter ingredients are a great tool in non-alcoholic because they're not something we're used to finding. And so when people get a really balanced but slightly bitter drink, um, Curious Elixirs is a great example. I know they have some that have some bitter ingredients in them as well. It, it's that kind of bitterness on your palate sometimes that makes you feel like, oh, this is non-alc, but it still feels like a drink, feels like it's for adults. It's not just a juice. And so, um, so yeah, those are the things I lean on. I lean on verjus a lot, which is a, uh, it's the juice, the unfermented juice of wine grapes. And so it almost has kind of a, a vermouthy quality to it. It's not very sweet. It has quite a bit of acid. Um, so I use things like that. I use vinegars. I use um, you know, gentian and other bitter ingredients to kind of bring out those other flavors. Um, but yeah, I think it's just about balance and it's about really thinking about what your end cocktail is going to feel like as a whole. And you want to consider obviously sweet, sour, bitter, and then consider mouthfeel um, and then using utilizing products, you know, and non-alk spirits that don't have sugar like Seedlip can be a really, really great tool um, to help you achieve something that isn't overly sweet. Yeah, it's, I love, it's so true with the, it's, you say like an adult beverage or a com- complex beverage, like it's just, it's, um, it's, it's, the market has changed. And I think those things are, is what's happening and that C-Lip is providing that. And these, these, it's, um, it's, it's definitely more attractive to, to people who, who don't drink alcohol, but want to have that adult beverage. And they're now this, you know, you're, you're providing that. So um, I think it's, it's really, it's really wonderful. And I can't even wait to see like how the industry keeps um, unfolding and, you know, what's to come, let's see, five, 10 years from now. Yeah, I think it's really, it's really exciting. And it, it, you know, there's a time and a place for sodas. There's a time and a place for lemonade. There's a time, you know, there's Mm -hmm. Diet Coke, whatever, all of these things, you know, you might want one of those in in the afternoon or with your lunch or whatever coffee, you know, like my club soda, the non-alc- <laughs> yeah, club soda. Exactly. Like nothing wrong with a club soda, uh-huh. but the cocktail, the non-alc cocktail, I think is a new frontier and we're finding just how many people are interested in that. And I, yeah, I think like you said, it's really exciting. It'll be exciting to see what's to come. Yeah. So, so your role with Diageo as the national on-premise manager for non-alc um, and I love that you, you know, we, sh- 
it's shortened on alcohol to alk, but uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, um, <laughs> well, it's, you know, it could be a mouthful <laughs> saying all this, yes, but um, sure. so tell, tell, tell us a little, like what, like, what does your role entail? Like what's a day in the life or what, what's, you know, and how, I mean, with, with Seedlip, did anything change with, with the brand from going from, you know, Ben's, Ben's independent company to uh, being acquired? Yeah, great question. I mean, the biggest change for me has been just the scale. And I think, you know, that comes, that's super exciting to see. I mean, Diageo has so so much um, ability to help us scale this brand and really make a difference in this non-alc drinking movement because of the size of of their company and, and the resources and the, the team that they have and all of the kind of different areas that they operate in. So that's the exciting part. And that is the thing that I think I'm really excited to see the transition from, you know, a couple bottles in my backpack, you know, hitting the streets back in 2017, trying to explain what this was to people to doing things like South by Southwest and like some of the really incredible, uh, you know, new markets. We, we, we were only in New York and California for a long time. And now we're in, uh, I think, 37 states in the US, which is really exciting. So the the ability to kind of scale up is is what has really changed for us. And I think that's crucial. Um, you know, there are, I can, you know, romanticize, there were things that were incredible about being a really small startup. But if we really want to change the way the world drinks, which is our our, you know, tagline really at Seedlip, you know, the scale is so exciting. And so that's where I'm at now. But as far as my role in all of that um, came from the bar industry and, you know, my passion is really in the on-premise. I love bars and restaurants and bartenders. And so my role now has really shifted. I, you know, I used to be feet on the street, kind of helping sell in the brand and and represent the brand um, in, in the account level. And now my job really is to work with our distribution partners and our Diageo teams and help support them in understanding the product and in understanding the category, um, figuring out what our strategy looks like for the on-premise, uh, figuring out what, you know, what our advocacy team should be focusing on and what um, what their activations and activity look like, and then really helping develop internal and external education resources because this product is so new and the category is so new that everybody needs a lot of education around everything from, hey, how is this made? What, what kind of a drink do I make with it? All the way to like, where do I put this on the menu? What do I call it? Do I call it zero proof? Do I call it mocktail? What do I price these cocktails at? What do I, you know, how do I explain them to consumers? Or if I'm in a, if I'm a retailer, like how do I put them on my shelf and what kind of signage do I need? And so we're really, it's, it's a lot of work in a new category, but it's really exciting because we get to develop all those tools and um, figure out all that strategy. So I get to really focusing on the on-premise and doing all of that is, is where, where my, uh, my job lies. Do you have a team or uh, in your division or are you more independent? Yeah. So um, Diageo really recognized the, the need for some specific resource for non-alc. Um, so our Diageo non-alc team is very specialized and we have, um, you know, people that work on our DTC business and digital business, social media. Um, so we have kind of a tiny team of non-alc within Diageo's larger structure. Um, and, you know, hopefully 
our portfolio will grow as new non-op products come into the business. Um, but right now we're really hyper-focused on Seedlip, which is very exciting. Uh, and then in, as far as advocacy, we have a brand ambassador team uh, that is a new program that we've developed with our agency partner, Enthuse. And we have brand ambassadors um, that are regional based on the East and West and uh, in Chicago and Texas. So building out our kind of advocacy team uh, with Diageo since July has been a, another big kind of part of my job. Awesome. So before we take a break, just one more, one more question about Diageo Bar Academy, which has been a, a big supporter of the show and Heritage Radio. What's your what's your involvement or are you do you teach it all on with the Academy? And um, is there like what's what's the crossover? So, yeah, so good. Good question. Um, I think, like I was saying, there are a lot of needs for education, even, you know, for the bar industry around making great no and low proof cocktails, how to position them on the menu, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so I help uh, develop some training tools for Bar Academy around those specific things. And if if anybody out there, um, I think it's such, Diageo Bar Academy is such an incredible resource and it's having its 10 year anniversary this year. So there's a lot of amazing content, both, you know, related to no and low, but also related to things like batching and costing and operations. And so if anybody um, out there is looking for those kinds of resources, I would definitely check it out. Um, there's no and low seminars uh, and downloadable resources on Bar Academy. There's a, there's a couple of really great sessions um, with some international bartenders that have really great perspective on, on non-op drinks. So I, yeah, I work, I work with our team to, to help support those resources and training tools. Um, but yeah, that's, Bar Academy is awesome. Check it out. <laughs> it, re it really is. I mean, the, yeah, as a resource, there's, you could, I mean, you could, you could really get lost on that website. <laughs> Spend a lot of time. It's so cool because I feel like when I started out bartending, I didn't know about anything like that. And I just, I thought you just had to know everything magically somehow and that that's everybody just knew stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to be, to be able to go online and, you know, whatever the area of expertise you're looking to kind of beef up your knowledge in, um, Bar Academy has, has everything. So it's really, it's a really cool tool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's take a little break and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news and my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on this podcast, now for some time. Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of the amazing new e-learning courses that they have available, like two courses on beer category and Guinness essentials, where you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Or if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, you can take this interactive course, which is called Spirits and Food Pairings, where you'll learn what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal in order to elevate their dining experience and help your check average too. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level, helping you grow in your career. And each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes too. 
you'll receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about Diageo Bar Academy and what they have to offer to grow your career, visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt in for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. Again, that's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Laura Lashley. She's the National On-Premise Manager for Diageo Non-Alc. It's time for my speed round. So, uh, Laura, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> what this I'm is, is I'm going to name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Gotcha. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. Eat out at a restaurant. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Solid on that. How about indoor dining or alfresco dining? Ooh. You know, that's that's a tough one. I think uh, I'm going to say alfresco just because I live in Los Angeles and it's the weather is so nice here all the time that I feel like you should take advantage of it and, and eat alfresco. But that's a tough one because there are certain situations I love the intimacy and vibe of indoor dining too. So tough call, but I'll go with alfresco. Okay. All right. How about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Oh, wow. So I, this is a trick question because I'm, since I'm Diageo non-alc, I'm obviously supposed to say non-alcoholic cocktail. <laughs> well, no, this is, I have, but, I've been playing this game. I always play this game with my guests and that's, a, it's a standard one. And so it, I didn't give, this is, this isn't, this is just, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for you, but. No, I get it. I, I, um, you know, I'm going to say, I like all of those things and they're in their certain occasions. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity, but for the purposes of this, I feel like, you know, we're coming into spring and I, I'm from Colorado, which is, uh, the home of a lot of incredible beer. So I feel like Early spring, summer, nothing sounds better than like a great refreshing beer. So I'll pay a little tribute to my roots, but obviously uh, non-alcoholic cocktails are my, <laughs> are my passion and my focus too. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to. <laughs> I was not trying to get you in trouble. I really wasn't. <laughs> okay. We'll keep going. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, um, I, you know, this, this one is tricky and has lots of layers as well, but I like an all-inclusive charge. Yeah, that one, that, this, the, that one is tricky for, I think, everyone. So <laughs> <laughs> lots of layers, lots of, yeah, you know, yeah. and situations, it, but yeah. 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 So, um, okay. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, we would have an all-inclusive charge. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. How about, um, okay. I have a few more. Shaken or stirred? Oh man, that depends on the cocktail. That, that's not fair, but I, overall, <laughs> I'm a shaken, I'm a shaken cocktail gal. Okay. How about Bosan or Spirited Away or any other NA store that you know of? Because they're they're oh, booming. You, There's, do you know what I'm talking yes. about? 
Oh yeah, yeah. But you can't make me pick. That's they're all, they're all my accounts, so I can't pit them against. Okay, each other, okay. That no, was it's incredible. That that's my there are so many cool Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. You're not going to trick me with that one. I won't. I won't pick a favorite. Well, I haven't. I've I, I've been to I've been to two of the Bosans here in, in New York City, and I. It's I I walked in I was like this is like a candy store for somebody who does not drink, um, it's just beautiful and they have so many amazing products. I've been I've been um, I need to explore more of the other options too. Um, but it's yes, there's a new one in in my neighborhood and well kind of new. It's been around for a few months, but I've got one in my neighborhood in LA now called Soft Spirits and. Uh, there's one in Houston called Sipple. So yeah, if you're interested in in like really diving into some of these new and exciting emerging brands in the non-out category, definitely check out, you know, do a Google search and see if there's one of these retailers near you because um, it's it's a really cool way. I know at Sipple, they um, they let you try all pretty much all of the products they have open in the store. So you really get to explore and taste everything um, but it's it's a really cool place to see how quick the category is go, growing and how much stuff is out there. Yeah, no, I it it really is. I remember when I talked to Bosan, they they had I think launched in January twenty twenty one, like or twenty twenty. So it's like just over um, or twenty twenty one. I said that right, just over like a year. Um, it's crazy. Anyways, okay, two more uh, cheese plate or dessert. Cheese plate, for sure. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Los Angeles? Oh, again, you're making me like hit <laughs> all of my favorite things against each other. Um, you know, I've lived in all of those places and they all, I love them all for different reasons. But um, I think shout out to Brooklyn. I probably will always feel like that is my, is my home. Even though I love LA, I'm happy to be here and I love the West Coast, but I think Brooklyn Brooklyn has my heart. Yeah, love it. Well, come back and visit, and we'll we can. I'm I, we're obviously doing this remotely now, but we could go. Um, we could go visit our Heritage Radio studio in the backyard of Roberta's. Yes, I would love that. So um, awesome. Okay, so that's the game. Uh, you were awesome, <laughs> and what you win you. for <laughs> win for playing my game is we'll talk a little industry news. I know, super super exciting. Um, so the article I picked out was on Gothamist, and it's entitled Soup, Sandwiches, Wings, New York Sets New, Ru- New Food Rules for To-Go Cocktails. And this was by John Campbell. And, well, it's – I pick, I mean, I figured, well, it ties into our cocktail or non-elk theme here. Yep. But um, so – and I love to hear what's happening in Los Angeles. Uh, so in, in New York, what's happening is um, – the governor recently passed, there was a finalized uh, $220 billion state budget that immediately allowed restaurants to serve sealed alcoholic drinks, including cocktails, with takeout orders. And this, back in um, 2020, uh, former governor Andrew Cuomo had temporarily given allowed restaurants to serve alcohol um or drinks uh, to go with food purchase. Um, But this, so this is, they brought it back and this article is talking about, well, so what is substantial food to go along with um, the drinks you're serving? And it's, it's um, that was, that's kind of like the question. And this article is talking and saying it's soup, salads, 
sandwiches, chicken wings, hot dogs, and a bag of chips or candy. <laughs> and it said a handful of lettuce does not count. <laughs> so, um, but I think I'm, I'm always, I think it's, it's, I think restaurants are excited about this, that they have, you know, they're able to do this. They're not, you're not allowed to just sell bottles of liquor themselves or wine, right. but um, to go drinks are back. So any take on this and what's happening in Los Angeles? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't want to misquote because I feel like the rules have changed so many times, you know, over the last two years. Yes, no, but I'm not sure, right. not sure exactly where LA is at right now. But I think it's pretty similar. I know you can order, you know, if you're ordering delivery food from a restaurant, a lot of places do still have the the to go drink option as of last week. So I'm assuming that that means we're still kind of in the same space. Um, and I get, you know, I heard through the grapevine that there were some. Uh, creative workarounds that places were doing with the things like charging you for a piece of lettuce and a tomato or whatever, uh, or chips in order to get your drinks. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty clear what they're intending to do here. And so I think there's always gray area with things like this. And that can be really frustrating for restaurants. Like, okay, what about French fries? And what about, you know, there's like an endless list of whatabouts. Um, so I think it would be obviously helpful for everyone to be clear and consistent with their directions. (laughs) I think that's the biggest frustration I've heard from operators in the last couple of years is just how often the rules change and how vague and sort of contradictory they are sometimes. So that's kind of my hope is that communication around stuff like this is thoughtful and consistent and clear to people so that they can make decisions that work for their businesses. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think it's... uh, the the rules have it, they've just been i mean since the pandemic it's been every day for a point you know or every week something different and um a lot to try to keep up with uh so and you're it's they left this this a little bit vague and it is yeah there is that gray area but um i think as you said like you kind of know what what substantial <laughs> food is and what you when you're trying to get away with something but yeah, there's a common sense element, I think, to this kind of stuff. <laughs> there is, but it's like, I guess when you're passing a, a law and, and, and there are rules, like, as, yeah, there should be, it should be defined on paper. So I think they're, they're trying to do that. Um, right. So it's, uh, yeah, so I think, I, yeah, I think overall people, people are, ex- are excited about this as a, as a, a decision. So, yeah. I think it's cool to see, you know, for a long, and RTD cocktails are having a, a moment as well, obviously. There's lots of incredible ones um, now on the market that, that we didn't have just a couple of years ago. But yes. I also think it's it's really exciting for bartenders and venues to get to share their craft in this way too. You know, not everybody is going to be out on a Friday, but if, you know, if you can order your favorite restaurant's meal and your favorite cocktail from their cocktail menu, that's, that's a pretty cool experience. So I, I think it's, it's a great way for, for bars and restaurants to get to share their craft, um, you know, even more with, with guests. Yes. Very well said. So um, on that note, let's move on to my solo dining experience this week. So it is at Fiorella Pasta. Here's the rundown, the location 817 Christian Street in the historic district in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The concept, it's an intimate pasta bar in a restored historic space. The owners, 
Chef Mark Vetri and his business partner, Jeff Benjamin. And I looked back, Jeff was a guest of mine on this show, episode 55, which was in March 2015, which was when, oh, wow. which was when the cocktail world was different. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a while ago. Um, so, so why did I go? Well, I was in Philadelphia just this past Monday, just for the day. It was the Philly Chef Conference that I went in for. And then um, I decided to go to dinner there because I always love veterinary restaurants. And uh, this had opened just before the pandemic and I hadn't been. So um, that's why I went. Uh, my experience, so I got an early reservation on talk. And when I arrived, I was seated at their chef's counter at the end. And it was perfect spot. I mean, I love chef's counters, especially with solo dining. Uh, my server was lovely. They took amazing care of me. I got some extra taste sent out that was just, they surprised me a lot and I wasn't expecting it. And I also wasn't expecting at the end, um, Jeff actually showed up. He saw my name in the reservation book and, uh, I was able to chat with him and catch up. And so that was that was amazing. And I just, I had a really fantastic time. Uh, what did I get? So they sent me a taste of their tuna tartare with Calabrian oil and citrus. And I ordered the mozzarella in Carosa with tomato. I also got the ricotta gnocchi with broccoli rob. And they sent me a taste of the ramp risotto Suchetti with sweetbread Genovese. And also they sent out the blueberry tart with honey ice cream. Let me just tell you, I was just spoiled. And I was, again, not <laughs> expecting it. Like I kind of thought I was just showing up anonymously. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh they I caught you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, wait. Um, they know me. Um, and it was just, it was my take. It was just all fabulous. Um, the tuna was so fresh and delicious. The mozzarella was this like it's a fried mozzarella what I got and had these two huge cubes and it was just cheesy goodness. The gnocchi was very light, not heavy. It had the ricotta in it. It was just fabulous. I have to say what was epic of this meal was this, what they sent out the chiquetti, which are these little pasta purses. They're just, it's a beautiful pasta if you've never seen it. They, it's like a beggar's purse. They kind of um, make the shape with the pasta. And it was, it was on this bed of sweet bread, um, like a sweet bread spread. And I, I would, I mean, I have to go down. I have to just say it was like one of the best pasta dishes I've ever had. I mean, that's how good it was. Yeah. So I was just, yeah, Mark Vetri is just, I mean, his pasta has always blown me away. Um, and, and, and just their hospitality and cooking. I'm just a fan. So thank you for sending that out. And, and the dessert was divine too. I mean, overall, yes, I can't, no, no complaints here. Happy to go back anytime. Um, the ambiance. So they restored a landmark butchery. Um, they kept many of its fixtures. There's like some of the meat hooks and they have this 220 pound solid brass cash register behind the counter. Um, it has lots of character. It's an intimate space. I mean, the space is, is tight. It's kind of set up. It's kind of like, it could be like a cozy little bar set up, but it's a chef's counter and the kitchen, the entire kitchen is behind the chef's counter. I mean, it's, it's uh, so you could watch, you know, you watch the pasta being made and the whole operation. No, actually uh, in front of me, they were making the drinks. I mean, I was like, I was basically in the bar of the restaurant. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was cool. And the, uh, the front has windows. And so um, it was cozy and, and great. Uh, I'd say it's perfect for a solo meal or a date. Interesting tidbit. Uh, in 1892, Luigi Fiorella opened 
his storefront landmark butcher shop in the historic district, and it became known for its highest quality, best class sausage. And over a century later, it closed. And then when they were looking for owners, they wanted a buyer who would, you know, keep the name alive. And they, Mark was, Mark Vetri was that person. So that's why it is called uh, uh, Fiorella Pasta. Personal fun fact, um, Last, last time I was in Philly, down the block is South Philly Barbacoa, and I'd been there. Um, luckily, at lunch at the Philly Chef Conference, they brought that in. They had a, a, they had many different restaurants, but that was one of the options at lunch. So for lunch, I had that, which was great. And then I walked to the train station. I walked off my meal, which was a couple of miles, and I got to walk through <laughs> Philly. Um, and and if if you really want to go back to the archives, check out episode three. I can't believe that's the episode, but episode three, I talk about my solo dining experience at Vetri, which was before I started doing the show. That's why I went back and um, and talked about it because that was that was magical. Okay, so the cost of this meal was thirty four dollars, not including those tastes that were sent out in the extra extras, and not including um, tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I said I would. And their website's fiorellafilly.com, Instagram fiorellafilly, and um, I. I hope I sold that. <laughs> I think I did. I want to go. I'm, I'm like booking my flight to Philly right now. That sounds amazing. You know, sometimes you just, you end up places that just so happy and, and just everything was just, it was just lovely. Yeah. You know, it, and, um, and it, and, and a lot of times when I travel too, I, I mean, I almost, I was going to hop around, try to go to multiple restaurants and I was like, let me just go and have one nice dinner tonight. (laughs) So, um, I, yeah, I eat solo all the time because of travel and my job. And it's a really special thing when you find a place that, that feels good as a solo diner. So I think it sounds awesome. Yeah. And I love Italian food, so I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Next time you're in Philly, check it out and, and make a reservation early because, Oh, I didn't mention they also had, um, they have outdoor dining. They have a, um, and it was a beautiful day when I was on Monday. So people were outside dining. So uh, the inside there, you know, it's, it's not, it's intimate. So it, there's a lot more seats outside and they were filled. So, um, nice. but make your reservation early is what I was going to say. Um, okay. So it's time for the final question. My next guest is Haley Meyer. She is the founder of Cafe Pana, which is an Italian-inspired ice cream and coffee shop with daily changing flavors located in Manhattan's Gramercy Park neighborhood. And she produces all of her ice cream in-house. And she's also the daughter of Danny Meyer. And actually, I didn't mention earlier, the restaurant, um, Chisiamo Hillary, where Hillary's chef, that is also a Danny Meyer restaurant. So tying Danny into the show which is never nice. a bad thing. <laughs> um, so Laura, uh, can you ask a question please for Haley? Yeah, I would love to. I was reading a little bit about her shop and the concept behind it. And from what I gathered, she wants to bring this sort of Italian uh, style of shop and ambiance and service to to New York and I was I've never been to Italy so I was just I just wanted I guess to ask her if she could elaborate a little bit on what's so special about the kinds of Italian cafes that inspired her concept and and what you know what she thinks that she can bring to to New York's 
you know, we've, we've got a lot in New York, but I think this, this sounds like something really special that she's trying to create. So I just wanted to kind of ask her about that. I will find out. Yeah. Um, her ice cream is incredible. Uh, I've, I've had it many times. She actually was, I did a conference, uh, called host before the, before the pandemic. And she was, um, there serving her ice cream for us. And it was, it was like, it was, I think it's the only, it was kind of my lunch and <laughs> it <Nice>. was fantastic. <laughs> um, That's a good day when yeah. you run your lunch as ice cream. Well, yeah, when you're running around and you don't have time to eat and someone hands you ice cream and you just say, okay, this is it. <laughs> Love um, it. But yeah, her stuff's amazing and I will find out. And um, you're, oh, I, yeah, I guess, I guess one more, one more sort of very, I, I should probably know this, but I don't, but maybe there's other people out there that don't know either. Maybe ask her to explain what the difference between gelato and ice cream is. And like from a production standpoint, like what is, what makes something gelato versus ice cream? Because I'd be curious to hear um, how that kind of works too. It's a great question. Because I think even, I know I've looked that up before. I talked to people about it and I, I, I feel some, I just, it's like one of those things I'll forget, like, but she, I'm sure she, yeah. she has. <laughs> I probably knew at some point. Yeah. 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 But like the ratio or, but, but, or. But I'm going to find out because um, she's the expert and I'm sure she she has an answer for it and I don't. <laughs> so um, thank you. That's the show. And um, I'm so glad I got to connect with you and meet you. And I can't wait to meet you in person. And I wish you the best. I think what you're doing with Diageo and the non-elk category is 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 terrific. And I wish you much continued success. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you as well. And I hopefully we can cheers with a non-alk cocktail in the very near future in real life. Yeah, that would that would be lovely. So we will we will hopefully sooner than later. So thank <laughs> you. My guest today has been Laura Lashley. She's the national on-premise manager for Diageo Non-Alk, where she leads the brand's training and advocacy programs in the US. You can find her on social media at liquid underscore lash and at Diageo and at Diageo Bar AC. And also check out websites, Diageo.com and DiageoBarAcademy.com. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks, as always, to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks to Joanna from Heritage Radio. Thanks to Laura and to Laurel and the whole entire Diageo team. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. We are off on spring break now for a couple weeks here at Heritage Radio. So my next show with Haley will be on Wednesday, May 4th. I hope you'll tune in then. Till then, stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 
10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. 